Ladies and gentlemen and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by two other members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. And the time-displaced but lovable troublemaker, Cicero Holmes. You guys look really realistic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And we are very pleased to be joined once more by two great debrief friends, our resident Trexpertise cultural archaeologist, Kyle Sullivan. Hola. Hola. And Trek fan and Speed Force scholar, Javi Trujillo. Flipping it opens the best part. <laughs> All right. Plus 10 points. You get it back. Nice. Yeah. 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 So uh, peek behind the curtain, as we said in in episode number 101, you know, they decided to surprise drop a highly anticipated episode of Strange New Worlds. Uh, So we're going to go forego our panelist check ins just because we've got a lot to get through uh, between the last episode that we just recorded and this one. But we'll touch on things uh, related to franchise news in a wider capacity soon enough. But as for right now, let's move on to our discussion about episode seven of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Those Old Scientists. So as usual, the episode summaries that we use here on Discovery Debrief to inform our conversations come from the fine editors over at Wikipedia, where we will expand on their very svelte recaps whenever necessary. So let's begin. In the 24th century... Ensign Brad Boimler of the USS Cerritos is assigned to investigate an ancient portal. The portal, which is powered by the rare substance Heronium, sends him back in time 120 years, where he's taken aboard the Enterprise by a landing party consisting of Number One, Spock, and Dr. Mbenga. So, this is the long-awaited crossover episode with the animated series Lower Decks, uh, before we dive into the episode more fully, I want to know what each of your expectations for this one were, if you had any, and how the final product aligned with them. I want to throw it to Kyle first, but before I do, I feel like I need to bring back an old favorite, although one of the names is incorrect here. Okay. So is that also Kyle Raggedy Boo? <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> Your nice voice work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, got, I just had that. So pedantic continuity times a pitch up. Zachy's Agony Booth was a pitch down. So it was it was all good. Uh, but Kyle, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit. You haven't joined joined us for any lower decks recaps on Discovery Debrief, but. I understand the show doesn't quite connect with you very much. So I can't imagine that you were particularly thrilled about the idea of this show crossing over with Lower Decks, but maybe I'll be surprised. Please 
unload your quantum <laughs> torpedoes. Oh, God. Um, I, I do have a particular issue with lower decks. It, I, I don't think it fits. And it, it's clever. The jokes are funny. The jokes are made by people who clearly love the franchise. But, you know, the, I, I, I think I just I take issue with the, the genre hopping that's going on, you know? And uh, I, I tried not to have any expectations for this because, honestly, Stranger Worlds has been surprising us at every turn. Like, every trope they pull out, somehow feels fresh and like they've they've taken hijinks episodes and made them fun and interesting and you know I, I don't know i've been pleasantly surprised the whole time my expectations were low i'm i'm being blown away and i thought surely surely this would be the same but it really was just another episode of lower decks you know like it didn't feel like strange new worlds at all and i guess overall my issue with lower decks is that it's quite a different genre than what star trek has traditionally been and you know we've tried a bunch of different things i'm not you know what that deviates from the fact that trek is a sci-fi drama and i'm not sure they're all working and i'm still i'm still deciding about lower decks does it work does it not work i think maybe uh to paraphrase paraphrase a friend of mine i think that maybe maybe it would have worked fine if it were siloed off into its own little area having its own little party but now that we've got it in the strange new worlds, like I, I feel very conflicted about it. Like it pops the bubble of like suspension of disbelief for me, which was already tenuous because Star Trek is a little bit ridiculous at times. But you know, th- this is a little bit too far, and I think that um, I think that we're pushing the flexibility of this franchise to a degree that other franchises don't have to worry about. Like, can you guys imagine if the next Batman movie were a musical? Like, or if they did a Breaking Bad spinoff with Brian Cranston and a bunch of Muppets? Like, I, f- I feel like to maintain your dramatic believability, you can you can stretch it a little bit, but I think something like this just breaks it. And mm-hmm. for that, I, I didn't have a lot of fun, you know? And I, and I hate that because I was I was hoping to have fun. Like, Several of the episodes we've seen already in this season, if you had told me about them, I would have been like, that's dumb. I'm, I'm going to launch myself into space. But I still enjoyed them. I was surprised. That didn't happen to me this time. Oh, damage report. Oh, it hurt. No, it's okay. That's good. No, I, of course, you, you, you express it very well. I'm going to go from one side of the spectrum to the other. I'm reasonably sure that the only person who has a badgie shirt on this panel is Rachel. <laughs> so same question. What were your expectations for this crossover and how did the episode conform with them or not? Um, I, I don't know that I was quite as excited about it as you were. Really? Yeah. yeah I think okay. you were the most excited. I was I love crossover. I, you do love crossovers. I was concerned that like, like I don't feel like Jack Quaid looks how I think Boimler should look. Um, and Tawny Newsom is more aligned with, with Mariner. Yeah. But still I, she is like a little bit, I don't know. It was, it was a little bit going into it. I was a little concerned that I'm like, they're voice actors. They're like, they're, they aren't the character. Um, but 
Yeah, I I mean, I was able to suspend my disbelief on that one when I was actually watching the episode. Um, However, I have to agree with Kyle that this really did um, feel much more like a live action Lower Decks than a like Strange New Worlds episode. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very much in Lower Decks in that milieu and um, I liked it. So, like, I think I, I think I had the same, uh, same observation. But I was like, hey, I like this. I like seeing the, you know, the actors and characters I like from Strange New Worlds doing kind of lower deck shtick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was funny to me. So, sure. yeah. Great. Cicero, our lower decks recaps are usually full of quite a bit of praise from you. Um, mm-hmm. What was your level of anticipation, and how did the episode conform with your expectation? You know, uh, my level of in- anticipation was, uh, please don't suck. Please don't <laughs> suck. Please don't suck. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to be fully animated. I wasn't sure if it was going to be live action. And if there was going to be live action, how were they going to do that? Right? Like, there were all these things. Um, and and they made choices. And um, I adored every single one of those choices. To me, this was my favorite episode of the season wow. by a long shot, by a long shot. Um, it was, I, so I love and respect Kyle's observation. Um, however, what I'll say is that Strange the Worlds is the same show that had an episode last year where they played knights yep. and and so you know sorcerers. Yes, who didn't like so that like, one either. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um so yeah, but but like I think I think you know the precedent had already been set, right? Like I, I you know I get it. I, I mean you can everyone can like and, and and not like whatever they whatever they want. Of course. Um but the precedent had been set that this was the type of Star Trek show that that we were going to get, right? And and right, like that Star Trek isn't a genre anymore. It is a, kind of like a platform, right? It is a a vehicle to do lots of different things. And and to a point, I think that's necessary. I think that's necessary for the like for the health of the franchise, um, because you can't just have seventeen versions of SVU, right? Like. Unless you're CBS, right? Like you, you, you know, you, you, but, but you, you. So, like, eventually there would be diminishing returns if every show was the same thing, just with a, a slightly different setting. Um, especially if, if you know, if the goal is to air these Star Trek shows concurrently. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like w- back in the nineties in the Berman era, we were getting successive shows. So we were getting the same thing after the, you know, as the previous thing was handing it off to the next thing. Um, and, and, and I think that worked and that, that formula could work continuously if, if there were great ideas that they were, they were moving. But if you, if you want to be able to have three or four, different series running in concert at some point you've got to mix up the the flavor a little um so in order for all of it to remain fresh and 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 um and that's one of the things that i really appreciated about 
that I appreciate about Lower Decks is the fact that, um, you know, as you said, right, these are, this is, this is a show that is, um, that is in, is held in the hands by people that obviously care and love about the love, love the franchise, love the source material and, and just think about the source material from a different standpoint, right? Like they, they're, they're comedians brains are wired differently, right? And comedian writers, uh, you know, uh, comedy writers are, are just, they're, they're a, a different breed, but they enjoy some of the same stuff that other writers and other creators do and and you know star trek's no different and i think that's what what's happening with lower decks um what we got out of this episode though for me was it was so like not what i was expecting but everything that i that i ever wanted from it i thought that the 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 there is a scene in the episode that I'm sure we'll wind up talking about where where uh, Boimler and Spock are together and they're doing science experiments. And I think that scene perfectly encapsulated what was going on in this episode, right? You had Boimler acting, or you had Jack Quaid as Boimler acting like a complete a complete cartoon character, right? He's screaming, he's genuflecting, right? He's doing all of these different things. And and Spock, Ethan Peck is emotionless and you know, he's like, "Hey, yeah, we need to we need to move. You should hide. What's going to happen? It's going to explode." Oh, ah, right? And and so you have like the dramatic version with the, the strange new world cast. And you've got this these agents of chaos <laughs> from from the the lower decks cast coming in and and like seeing those two things happen at the same time. I think was exactly what this crossover needed. It mm-hmm. was it, to me, it was beautiful. All right, Javi, what's your general perspective on lower decks, and uh, what did you think of this pairing? I didn't really have expectations. I just had anticipation of what this could be. Um, If you're a certain age, you probably saw Clerks the movie. Um, And that that was something that was very formative to me in my late teens, early twenties. And they, it's a black, if you're not familiar with it, it's a black and white indie movie, a lot of swearing, a lot of talking about star Wars, about (laughs) two convenience store clerks. And they made a cartoon of it on ABC and like the, early two thousands that only they only made six episodes. They aired two. And it was just something like, I didn't think it was going to work. And it was kind of weird watching the first one. And then the second episode wasn't the second episode. I think it was the fifth. And then they released it on a box set and, and I watched it and I just kind of fell in love with it. It was its own weird vibe. And that's kind of like my relationship with lower decks. Like I heard about it. I'm like, I, I'm not going to watch this. I don't need this. I didn't ask for an, another animated Star Trek with new people and, and watch the first episode. I'm like, this is really weird. Like, I don't understand the, like, how is this, is this really happening or is it not happening? I don't, is this continuity? I don't know. But at some point, I don't know when it happened. Like I fell in love with that show and, and these characters. So the idea of not only 
mixing animation and live action, but like the 23rd and 24th centuries was uh, an intriguing concept to me. And Saturday was a, a bit of a rough day for me at work and, and getting to, you know, just taking a quick break and checking the internet and finding out that I was going to get to see the episode, like as, as I got home, like it got me really excited and it was the perfect thing to totally change my, my mood that day and, and put me into bright spirits and just having, I, I totally see where Kyle's coming from, where it is a lower decks episode. I mean, it, it, the framework is there to be a lower decks episode, um, as and they kind of take over the spot of being the main characters. But at the same time, like those character progression, the serialized characterization that we mentioned last episode, like is really present here. Like we, you know, we continue to see Ohura building of where, you know, where she's been coming from, and we see. You know how Spock and Chapel's relationship is proceeding, and like it, it, and we get stuff with Pike, you know, because he knows where his future's going and how that that affects him. So I thought they did a really good job of met, meshing the two together um, in a unique way that I I don't think I could have anticipated they they pulled it off as well as they did. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of want a live action Lower Decks too. <laughs> the animated version. <laughs> well, hey, be careful what you wish for. Right. Um, in terms of my expectations, yes, Rachel's right. I was very, very much looking forward to this one. The reason I was looking forward to it as much as I was, I mean, I was pretty excited. They announced it last se- last year in San Diego. And the immediate question that has persisted for the past year is, how are they going to reconcile this? You know, there's two shows with very different tones we know that they occupy the same shared narrative world, but how are they going to actually like imbue someone like Brad Boimler or Beckett Mariner with the kind of pathos that you expect from uh, an episode of Strange New Worlds that that gives those characters so much time to and and so much energy to develop them and move them along? And I'm kind of delighted by the fact that they didn't really. Because it's almost just like, well, they're displaced from the world that they primarily operate in. And they're still them. Like we get a little bit of it, I think, with Boimler where he starts to understand that, okay, what I'm doing has consequences, you know. And I like that at the end of it, uh, he apologizes to members of the crew by saying, I should not have applied my historical standards to who you are right now. I think that's a semblance of that's a little bit of strange new worlds encroaching on the world of lower decks. It's not much, but it's there. Um, and yeah, I mean, practically speaking, does Jack Quaid look like Brad Boimler? I don't know. I mean, Brad Boimler's skin was in poor enough condition that a holographic Borg queen told him he needed to moisturize more. Uh, face for radio is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't really come across that way to me, but they felt exceedingly authentic to the characters that, that I think we know from lower decks and in the realm of star Trek crossovers, like it's a very unique exercise. And, uh, and on that basis alone, I think it was certainly worth exploring, especially with, you know, the expert directorial hand of, of 
hallowed be thy name, Jonathan Frakes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- this this worked for me. I don't disagree with the notion that it is effectively a Lower Decks episode. Um, but to Javi's point, yeah, we did see certain subplots moved along and we saw how characters reacted to being confronted uh, very literally by the future. And we got a nice moment from Una that I think she needed uh, just without jumping too far ahead, but just a perspective, but we do have some, some, some plot that we can move through. Not a lot, but enough. Uh, So let's, let's move along with that. So Boimler awakens in sickbay and is starstruck by Captain Pike and displays a lot of particular nervousness around Una. As the crew attempts to find a way to return Boimler to his time, the ensign struggles to contain his excitement at meeting his heroes and also to prevent polluting the timeline with his knowledge of the future. So this is something that goes back to what some contend is a strength of Lower Decks and what others contend is a weakness. The characterization of Boimler, who is effectively a Star Trek fan, who happens to be a character in a Star Trek show. Um, I was rather charmed by the reactions of the Enterprise crew to that, but several of the characters also make clear that this is something that makes them uncomfortable. Um, what are your guys' takes on on that kind of character interacting with, uh, with the crew members of the Enterprise? Rachel? Um, I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I just, I thought it was kind of comical as a, you know, a, a break from our normal strange new worlds programming i guess yeah. just the reacting to you know to, to the craziness mm-hmm. it it was funny i yeah yeah it was funny yeah yeah i i don't know i feel like i have to like defend why i liked it but no, i uh the short answer is like, i just liked it okay yeah, yeah. very good uh cicero how about you uh, yeah, I, I I loved everything about this episode, right? I thought okay. um, I thought everything that they like the choices that they made were 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 spot on. Um, I don't know what I was expecting, um, but uh, they they just blew away my expectations with with respect to whatever my expectations were. All right, very good. Uh, Javi, uh, what did you make of? Uh particularly Boimler's interactions with the rest of the Enterprise crew. If I had one critique, it would probably be that the costuming, like just the shoulders, the black on the shoulders seems like it sits down too low in comparison to like TNG episodes or lower decks themselves. But that's like the only thing that's only con I've got for this whole thing. I, I really enjoyed seeing Boimler, you know, just kind of spazzing out over everything and, and to see the physicality that Quaid brought to it, like to bring that cartoonishness and some of the mannerisms, it, the it, was, just, it, it was so surreal to see. <laughs> it kind of broke my brain a little bit, yeah. just the way that they merged those two. And, and the set, the lower decks is very self-referential uh, to you guys' point about, you know, just being Boimler being a fan. So the, the fact that we had like little scene of like Spock and Una observing them kind of just like sitting on the fourth wall, talking about the bell riots and like, why do they talk about events? And they're always very specific. Like, yes. <laughs> just, the whole thing had a lot of charm. 
Sure. Yeah. Excellent. Um, Kyle, do you take issue with the idea that Boimler is a Star Trek fan in a Star Trek show or uh, does it go beyond that? And what about his interactions with the rest of the crew here? Um, yeah, I do. I, I, I don't like that dynamic because I don't like being reminded that I'm watching Star Trek. I kind of want to disappear into the universe a little bit, which is like the opposite of what Lower Decks does, right? But, and I've considered this in many places, like... Lower Decks, the humor, you have to know Star Trek and it is genuinely funny sometimes. And, you know, the same, you know, level of nostalgic introspection was on display in Rapid Fire. Like I I did, I thought the Bell Riots reference was like, hold up, what? (laughs) It happened so fast. I was like, what? (laughs) But I don't know. I felt, I, I wish it was a little more pathos being dragged back from the other side because like, I didn't recognize any of the strange new world crewmen really like, and mm-hmm. I, I felt like it got overshadowed too much. I wish it was more of a blend, but uh, um, it is clever. Hey, who knows what's to come? You know, you, dancing, you, dancing well, queen is coming. I, and singing. I, I guess we do know what's to, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's, uh, let's move along with uh, the plot. So the portal is taken by an Orion science ship and Pike trades grain supplies to retrieve it. However, when they attempt to return Boimler to the future with the last remaining Heronium, Ensign Beckett Mariner, Boimler's fellow Cerritos crewmate, appears through the portal having attempted a rescue. So we talked about Boimler. Let's move on to Mariner. How does she make the jump to live action? Because I honestly feel like what surprised me the most especially with Mariner is just how unaltered uh, she is in comparison with uh, appearances on the home series, so to speak. I mean, we got to see their dynamic explored in live action between Mariner and Boimler, and it was very much intact from what we understand that dynamic to be in strange new worlds. Uh, Do you guys feel like this made the transition well or not so well? Because I think it's one thing to watch and especially to perform a tete-a-tete in a voice booth. But when you actually have to do it on a set and you're in full costume and everything, I feel like it takes a different set of skills. But I didn't detect a lot of difference personally. But what about you guys? Uh, Cicero? Uh, So I want to uh, take a moment to both um, celebrate Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsom. Uh, for their performances in this episode, and also want to shout out uh, our debrief brethren, uh, Ty Monaghan, who can't be here, but said um, he he also loved this episode. Um, but his his thing was that the episode got infinitely better for him the second Mariner was was in the, in the episode once. Once Tawny Newsom was was in it, um, I want to talk about just for a second how animated they were, and, and you know, and that that's them. That's the the was I guess it's the gaffer or the grip. Who's the people that make the noise? Uh, the who, foley who, artists. Foley, the foley guys. So whoever the foley the foley artists are. Um, amazing because there's a scene in the ready room where everyone's, you know, everyone's in there and, and, you know, Boiler and Mariner, Mariner's talking about how she wasn't prepared for, for how hot young Spock was. Um, <laughs> and, funny. and yeah, 
Yeah, and she's you know they're having that conversation, but then she's sitting down at the end of the at the end of the ready room table, and she's touching things, and she gets admonished for touching things, and then she kind of like slides her hands down the table, and it makes this like comic like animation sound of streaking across. So like those like those were intentional choices that that were made to bring the animation, right? To bring, to Kyle's point, make it feel like a Lower Decks episode, um, which, you know, to me was was a benefit, but unfortunately to Kyle was a detriment. Yeah. Um, but, but, like, I really loved, I loved both of their performances um, because, and, and, you know, and, and, uh, Shout out to Will Wheaton and the Ready Room. Um, watching that really helped me to appreciate even more um, the choices that were made. Uh, Jack Quaid went and and studied his own performance that's in that's been animated in Lower Decks so that he could emulate Boimler in live action. So that running through the halls. Was you know that was a choice like to run like Boimler was a choice and he you know like there was a thing where he's saying I I realized I watched and, and Boimler's hands go like this a lot right they just flip flip and flop to the sides so those were things that he was trying to do and like when he would scream he would like clench up and move his body and you know there was physicality that he added that he learned from watching what the animators did with his voice performance. Um, and then, you know, Tawny is just a, such a talented comedian uh, just off the, off the bat that, that she was able to add things and improvise things that were amazing. Um, there is one point, Kyle, that I am going to bring to you and say shame on you for not liking this episode because a thing happened early in the second act that 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 just it, it it can't be it can't be passed up and I, I I just have one word two syllables and that word is Riker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That happened. The sit. Yeah. Oh oh man it was that was so great it was so great <laughs> but again but again it was so great if if what you were looking for was a lower decks strange new worlds crossover right and if you weren't looking for those things then it it is it was nails on the chalkboard for you hmm. ouch well i already played the agony booth music once i'm not going to do it <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Kyle, I mean, please feel free to to follow up on that, but also, you know, your appraisal, or rather, maybe reappraisal of Mariner as a character. Oh, no, no, uh, you know, I may not have enjoyed what was happening, but the actors like absolutely killed. I mean, like they, mm-hmm. the physicality of it, like you were saying, Cicero, like they, it, it was very true to form. Like it actually looked very difficult to be honest, to be because people don't move like that, you know, <laughs> and uh, the every choice they made about the physical movements of that the actors were making, like it, it was just like the animated show. And like that, that's definitely a credit to those actors. Like they, they did a really spectacular job. You believe that's who they were. You know, a lot of th- that wouldn't have worked half the time, I think with most kinds of shows, but like 
they cared. And those two actors really love Lower Decks. They really love the characters they're playing. And I mean, that was present on every moment on screen with these guys. And I like I like Mariner as a character, as a counterweight uh, to Boimler. Uh, it, it, for me, too, it did feel better when she showed up. It felt like, because I don't think the two of them are characters by themselves. I think the pair of them together are a character, if that makes any sense. And like, it, it felt... I guess more like a Lower Decks episode when she finally showed up. Otherwise, it was a little bit aberrant, you know? Boimler's weird by himself, man. He's like a kid that won't <laughs> stop picking his nose. <laughs> or, uh, or eating raisins, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Rachel, <laughs> the dynamic between Mariner and Boimler, how did it make the jump to live action for you? Very well. I agree with what's been said, that it really uh, livened up the the uh the interactions between uh boimler and everybody um i actually like i noticed that their physicality was um a lot like the animated um characters but i actually had the thought while i was watching it that it looked like i was watching them in slow motion because i in the animation like it like they're like especially mariner she's so jumpy like she'll be like like her arms will be out and then in, in the next frame and stuff. And like, I just, I was like, she seems so slow in real life. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously they did a great job and, and they can only move as fast as normal humans can. <laughs> physics. So, <laughs> this is not a criticism. It was just something I, I blame the rules of physics. <laughs> Damn physics. Well, you kind of break the laws. Um, yeah, and well, they kind of mentioned that too because when they're on the shuttlecraft together, was it Mariner or Boimler? It's like everybody talks so slow here. Like I know. Oh yeah. Right. <sighs> and, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and quiet. Yeah. Javi, the uh, the dynamic between Ensigns Mariner and Boimler for you. Well, I'm glad that Cicero brought up the ready room because um, I watched that too, and it just the whole the chemistry that these two have with each other, like it's, it's present in the animation and it's present in the episode, the live action portions. And it's, it's still there when they're just themselves, not the characters, but themselves. Like they, they feed off each other like so well. And like, to me, they're, they're just one of those iconic Trek couples. Like you've got, you know, Spock and Bones or Kirk and Spock or O'Brien and Bashir. And like, they're, they're right up there with that in terms of like Trek power couples. Like you need to have the two of them together. Like Kyle was saying, they almost are kind of like, they're the yin and the yang of each other. And they, you see throughout the episode, how like Mariners trying to speak, like interpret Boimler to the crew like, you know, explaining to Uno, like, what, why he is the way he is. And at the same time, like, Boimler's trying to, like, apologize for how Mariner is. And and just the back and forth they had. And that, that briefing where they were talking about, like, the grapplers and how the ships have a piece of the ship from before them. And, Which was cool. And, yeah, it's just, it. there was so much just just to love about the whole thing. And, and I, I appreciated seeing not just the affection that, the lower decks crew had for the 23rd century, but to see the 23rd century characters have love for the 22nd century too. Um, and then through that love, realize how they were basically all the same. It hit a nice note. Yeah. 
Yeah. Kyle, you looked like you might be wanted to add something. No, no, that I mean, that was good writing. And, you know, I don't think we've seen that much love for Enterprise in one place Ooh. before. Like it popped up in Beyond and then then it is here. It was that was lovely to see. Yeah. Canonizing some reverence that Uhura has for Hoshi Sato is certainly something I can live with, you know. Uh, and they never really had the chance to do that before. So it's kind of nice to see. Um, well, it seems like Mariner and Kyle have similar appraisals of hot Spock, but <laughs> Be- beefy Spock, sir. Beef- beefy Spock, sorry. Ethan Pecks, yes, if I'm remembering correctly. Ethan Pecks. Um, but I also just enjoyed the clashing of personalities between Mariner and Captain Pike, even though they didn't really spend all that much time together. Um, that was the, like one of the things that I really enjoyed the most out of this is that, you know, Mariner is certainly not somebody who demonstrates an abundance of restraint or even respect for her, at least her primary commanding officer, but that's also not on, on the enterprise. It's not her mom. Uh, and it's a revered historical figure. If, uh, if I'm picking up what everything's laying down. That was the one that I probably liked seeing the most, but uh, what did you guys enjoy seeing in terms of other crew interactions between the Lower Decks characters and the Strange New Worlds characters? Anything stick out? Uh, Cicero? The one that sticks out to me, it, it actually it really hit me um, really hard uh, in, a, in a great way was, was the realization of of number one, finding out who she was in the future, right? Like that moment where, where Una learns that Ad Astra uh, para, 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 um, made it to not only a recruitment poster, but the recruitment poster, right? Like that she, she is Uncle Sam. <laughs> Kyle has a problem. I, I love that that happened for her. But why okay. is a like 150 year old person on the recruitment poster? You know, when we're recruiting military now. We don't put Abraham Lincoln on the poster. You put you put mythical Uncle Sam on the poster. This is a guy that was created from some guy's imagination from like 1900. I, I know, and it's a classic poster. It it must be. So it's 120 years. <laughs> yeah, old. yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, so, I mean, it's it's exactly the same. I liked it for her. I was like, right. Would she still be on the poster though? Or would it be like Riker? Um, right, right. <laughs> well, you heard you heard yeah, what a- Ransom said when he got a look at the poster. You know, yeah, hottest XO in the that. fleet, and also right. you know Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine are married, but still, you, you know, it's- right. So he, he's allowed to say it. Um, but yeah, but that moment touched me um, simply because of number one's journey. Right. And, and, and these are the things that made the episode great for me is um, I think as, as we're discussing it and as I'm reviewing it in my head um, and, and really thinking about the episode, I think that Kyle is correct that it is a Lower Decks episode in live action. And even the animated versions of it are still Lower Decks episodes, even though they're like the jokes are a lot more mild than what you would see in, in a Lower Decks part, even the parts where the uh, the Enterprise crew is animated. Um, but it's the ways, the ways that the Lower Decks crew impacted the, 
the Strange New Worlds crew in in very real non comedic ways that I think allowed this to still be a an SNW episode, and and this was one of those moments where where um, we got to see. Una can die a happy person now because she 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 can feel um, she can feel requited in the fact that her mission to to allow people that were like her to be accepted as someone that can be a full fledged member of Starfleet um, is realized and 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 that meant everything to her. And as a result of, you know, and I could tell that it meant everything to her. And it was so, it was such a great moment that, that really made me emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought, I thought that that was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, yeah. Excellent. Javi, how about you? Is there any particular interaction between the characters that you liked a lot? I mean, I was going to lead with the same thing as Cicero said. So oh, okay. we're on the same wavelength tonight. So, uh, I think I'll bring up Spock and Chapel because I, I enjoyed seeing Ortegas and Chapel kind of take the piss out of Boimler a little bit and watch out for the chronoton sickness and mm-hmm. and that was fun. But then to get to the turbo lift scene and just how crushed Christine was when she realizes she's not gonna be, you know, a major part uh for Spock's history going forward like she hadn't thought about it in that way before and to see her reaction to it and then to see the same thing kind of for spock when he's talking with boimler about that conversation um and you know how is that going to affect him going forward and who he wants to be because like just seeing new trek i i'm very aware of there's certain online voices that are just going to you know, trash everything that's on Paramount Plus that's new. Um, and, and so when it comes to these changes in canon, like I, I can hear the angry voices in my head already without even reading them. So to see, to get into the weeds a little bit with how, you know, Sp- Spock is on this journey and he's the whole, his whole arc is trying to merge his human half and his Vulcan half and which side's going to dominate and, and to find that balance. Like that takes him over how many movies and episodes of TV and animation. So it, it was nice to have this, this little wrinkle that, you know, Boimler kind of kicks off a different train of thought for him of where he could and should go in the future that mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting to see. And it made having the crossover meaningful. Mm -hmm. Great. Rachel, is there any particular interaction that the Lower Decks characters had with the Strange New World cast you enjoyed? Uh, You sent me some images of the faces Captain Pike makes. Yeah. And I I very very much liked his uh, exasperated sort of frowns. Um, (laughs) Reminded me of how how I think of like our cats. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, Yeah. So I like that interaction. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, Kyle, um, is there any interaction between those sets of characters that you extracted more enjoyment out of than others? I mean, I'm, I I ship spock and uh chapel so like i was interested 
know, the ramifications there. I feel like an unfortunate seed has been planted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's, we're going to start to see this relationship spiral apart as soon as we saw it come together. Um, yeah. I was really confused by Lon and Boimler when Lon was walking him down the corridor. Like she seemed really awkward with him and he was awkward with her. And I, I don't recall there being like a real follow-up to that interaction. And I was like, why, why is she being awkward with him? She I just, Oh, sorry. Oh. Chris. No, please go ahead. I, I just took it as, especially with her line about no personal entanglements. Uh, I just took it as her being very cautious after having fallen for, for Kirk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they um, made that explicit. I guess that, yeah, I guess that yeah. does set, settle that. Yeah. Would have been super awkward if she fell for Boimler. But <laughs> not possible. She's way too cool. Yeah, probably. And I think Boimler would say the same thing. Um, so we'll, with Mariner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. She, she busted balls. Um, let's move along with the plot. So both crew members have opportunities to work directly with their heroes. Spock and Boimler unsuccessfully try to synthesize Heronium to make another attempt uh, to revive the portal while Mariner and Ahura work to translate the portal's engravings. Mariner's encouragement for Ahura to take time for herself helps facilitate a breakthrough in Ahura's attempted translation. So this was one of the moments I think that we got some pathos from the principles where the strange new worlds became a little bit more of an influence on the lower decks characters instead of the other way around. Uh, Good scene, bad scene. Does it work? I think I just really appreciated um, the very different approach that Mariner has to meeting her hero as opposed to Boimler. But also too, uh, it seemed like, Ahura was in a place where she did have something to learn. And Ortegas even looks at Mariner like, I like you. You're a good, bad influence, which, uh, which I thought was fun. Uh, what did you guys make of the, the conversations and the interactions between Mariner and Ahura, Rachel? Uh, I was so worried that uh, Mariner was going to be disappointed that Ahura doesn't like she's not partying um (laughs) because she's in a period of overwork right so i i was so worried that mariner was gonna like be like oh she's not cool but then she did think she was cool so yeah and and it was yeah it was it was nice Mm -hmm. yeah uh cicero mariner and ahura what did you make of the moment i i mean it was it was great to have i i think that the lower decks the lower decks crew came into the strange new world ship and they kind of they they set things right right like they they didn't necessarily like their butterfly effect was like planting caterpillars right <laughs> or or helping 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 th- these people cocoon um because Marina came in and and really helped Ahura understand that right like you can't just you can't just work your way to success right like you've you've got to be a well-rounded individual and and the person that we wind up celebrating is not you yet Right. And, and part of what you need is just to kind of relax, right? You need to be able to, to do these things. And it took someone from outside to, to get her to understand the things that her friends have been trying to impress upon, 
upon her this entire time. But part of the problem for her is that all of her friends are senior officers, right? And and she just became an officer. So she's still working, you know, she's still working her way up the ladder. Um, but even as you're working your way up the ladder, you still need to be able to take the time to break and 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 really enjoy the process of getting there. And that that was extremely helpful for her. Um, Boimler did, I think, much the same way in a, in a very Boimler type of way with with Nurse Chapel and with Spock um, in helping them to understand, right? Like, okay, this thing that you're doing, it's fun, sure, whatever, but like, eventually you got to get down to business, right? Like, you can't have fun. You got to, there's work to be done, right? And it's, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what uh, what uh, Mariner was telling Uhura, and and but it set them on on the right course, I believe, and um, or at least the course that we know them to go to, uh, and and I think that was that was great, and I I think that it it allowed um, it showed us in the audience that you you can learn. Even the even the 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 buffoons, the clowns, the silly people have things that you can learn. Um, you know, valuable lessons to teach. Mm-hmm. Excellent, uh, Javi. How about you? Did this uh, interaction strike you in a particular way? Just that you know, Mariner has the perspective that Boimler lacks, and you know that's that's kind of like the lesson that they that he kind of takes away from it that he addresses at the at the table at the end. Um, you know, cause she, she's able to see Ohura for who she is in that moment, but still have that knowledge like, oh, she's going to become this. And, and just Boimler just kind of seems to be the person who, Boimler, Mariner seems to be the one who always just, you know, she's ready to have fun and have the adventure and, and trying to bring that side out of her hero. Like, it, like you guys have all said, it's, it's that butterfly effect. And, uh, I, I don't, I really like seeing the two of them together and then, you know, going back to the ready room to see that the respect they have as real people, you know, how, it, how it translates into that scene that they share together. I, it's just, everything just felt love letter in, in an age of incessant fan service or trying to do fan service. Like this episode uh, for me felt like genuine and sincere. And uh, it just was – the whole thing was a treat for me personally. Right. Kyle, did the scene feel genuine and sincere for you? Um, it was probably the nicest interaction. I, I thought the Spock-Boimler thing was a little bit too wily coyote. But <laughs> I, I I like any time that we're seeing characters relax in the, the bar mess hall 10 forward space. And even with, you know, Mariner there, like, it, it, it's nice to have them let their guards down. You could kind of see more of the character sometimes. And it, it was a learning curve for Hora. And I, I think it's a, a cool moment for her as a character. And I love that she was looking at Bajoran and Cardassian languages on her on her pad there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was explicit, but it was there. Yeah. An interesting little wrinkle. Um, as far as I know... The only other 23rd century Cardassian reference was in the 2009 film. So there's nothing to say that they haven't already contacted both species. Yeah, that's true. 
I mean, there's different levels of contact over the next century, I guess, are, are varying, but still, still a nice, nice little cool nod. So let's, uh, let's round out the plot here. So Boimler realizes that Heronium from the hull of the NX-01 Enterprise was incorporated into Pike's Enterprise, allowing him and Mariner to return to their own time. The Orions agree to accept credit for discovering the portal in exchange for allowing them to pass through peacefully. And at a surprise party for Captain Pike's birthday, the crew is intoxicated enough that their perception is different. They almost look like cartoon characters. How about that? It's wild. That's some freaky booze. Anyway, <laughs> um, so we already touched on it a little bit. Lots of love here for the NX-01. Some nice canonical tissue of influence between Travis Mayweather, Hoshi Sato, and a couple of their NCC-1701 successors. I feel like this was kind of a lower decks encroachment in terms of using canon to tell some jokes, but we also get some strange new worlds flavored reverence, which we already kind of talked about. So tell me more about your feelings on uh, on the NX-01 love. You know, we touched on it briefly, but uh, Kyle, you know, you specifically mentioned there hasn't been a lot of Enterprise love. Uh, did this round out the episode in a, in a decent way for you? I, I think it was a nice, a nice little love letter. Like we're just talking about love letters. Um, yeah. A, a way to bring, uh, everything kind of tighter into the, to the fold. I, I think that track is a little bit rare in how it handles its own continuity in Canon as a franchise. And these callbacks, this one felt earned or felt organic or natural like because enterprise is the one that established this thing right or was it another show that established a piece of previous ship somewhere in the in the build of the current ship i liked it mm -hmm. excellent rachel the love of the nx01 here what'd you think yeah i mean i maybe i found it less um jarring or unusual than some because I feel like in the books, the Star Trek books that I've read, they're often making callbacks to Enterprise. And um, I like I know in the autobiography of Picard, which is now probably not canon or anything. No, no. <laughs> like, because uh, it does not include any of the events of Picard. Um, <laughs> and it... Uh, in in that book, like he talks about how much he idolized um, Travis Mayweather as mm. a child, but other books I've read have mentioned them a lot more too. So it was maybe a little bit more natural for me to hear like hear those uh, the those names being said. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, and always great to hear. Yeah, of course. Javi, uh, you touched on it a little bit, but what did you make of uh, the connective tissue with Enterprise here? Well, I mean, I really loved it. Uh, anytime we get to make a reference and make it more a part of the universe, since it happened first but came way after a lot of stuff, I, I appreciate any nod to work it in. But um, you and I had texted uh, after watching the episode uh, to me, at least, you know, Frakes is a rather infamous part of Enterprise history, given that, you know, he kind of hijacked unintentionally the actor unintentionally hijacked the series finale. And I, I know he didn't write this episode. He just directed it. But it felt kind of like a, 
a mea culpa to fans. Like, okay, I ruined the end of Enterprise, but let let me direct an episode and show all this reverence to that series. Um, that's at least how that's how I'm going to take it. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciated yeah. the nods. Yeah, of course. Cicero, you are an unabashed NX01 supporter, so you had to have loved this. I, no, man, I hated it. Uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was great. Like uh, again, the I think it was it was wonderful to have the opportunity to take the lower decks level of fandom, right? The or the the fandom that Boimler um, specifically embodies. Well, actually, not even Boimler, because Mariner almost secretly or not so secretly embodies that same level of fandom. Um, but both of those characters uh, observe for and the reverence that they have for people from the from the Kirk era, from the TOS era, and and have that transferred to the crew of the Enterprise for the NX-01, right? Because that is the thing that came before them. That is the thing that they have reverence for. Um, and, you know, that was the thing that inspired them to, to be the people that they are today and to watch how cyclical that, that really can be. Um, it was, it was really nice to see that, you know, to see that come full circle in that way. And, uh, and again, any, any time as in the, in the great works of, uh, Zaki Hassan, um, the, anytime, uh, we can, we can push enterprise closer to canon is a good is a good day there you go yeah absolutely well um there's lots of lineage when it comes to star trek crossovers so how does those old scientists stack up especially considering the very different genres of both of these shows um you know i'm not sure if there's really an out and out full crossover episode um outside of cameos outside of uh trials and tribulations maybe um because you know like quark showed up in the voyager pilot and he also showed up on the view screen on the enterprise d once and you know bashir showed up in an episode of tng and Riker showed up in an episode of voyager and all these things but like it wasn't driving the plot like trials and tribulations was and those old scientists so in terms of like the lineage of trek crossovers how does this one uh match up for you uh kyle I think I think you just listed it. Um Trials and Tribulations and then this episode. It's like the most integrated possible crossover examples I can think of. Like everything mm-hmm. else is much 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 smaller. Uh, yeah. Chief O'Brien living on DS9 might be the distant third <laughs> or something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um just in terms of being a crossover and evoking both shows, do you think it was successful? even if it didn't care for it necessarily. My problem is with the genre, but they did integrate. It, it did work. I still feel like it's way more of a Lower Decks episode than a Strange New Worlds episode, but you guys have pointed out uh, the Strange New Worlds elements, and I think that they are there. I think I agree with you. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know. Which, which one is the most successful crossover event? I think DS9 and TOS jar a little bit in terms of their tone. And maybe that was an issue then. I don't remember people talking about it. I'm not sure. It gets grandfathered in for me. I'm not sure if I'd have the same sure. problem, but they 
Kyle, really Kyle you, missed the, you missed the fact that Worf said specifically not to talk about That's it. That's true. So. I mean, you know, Trouble with Tribbles is probably the single biggest out-and-out comedy that the franchise had produced maybe until Lower Decks. I mean, there have been funny episodes, but any other like big ha-ha fun? So that actually is pretty comparable the more that you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have the DS9 crew that is in the midst of the Dominion War that is being thrust into a wacky, zany space station where they're falling all over the captain and they're eating the grain and they're having too many babies and all it's, it's there is some strange uh commonality between the two now that you mention it it's, we, we it's thought funny. for a hot second we might get some ds9 crew and picard season three just for a hot yeah, second we did denied yeah. denied <laughs> rachel is this a successful star trek crossover in terms of what we've seen before yeah i like yeah. it's you know it's as You've concluded the only other one is Trials and Tribulations, right? Full crossover, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's all we have to compare it to. And I don't know. I mean, that's kind of classic, right? I don't... I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I Well, I need some time to digest, as I usually do, before I can rank them one and two. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was very successful. I enjoyed it. I had a great time. Mm -hmm. Javi, how about you? Is this a successful crossover for you? Yeah, for me, I think this sits at the at the top of the heap because while I enjoyed Trials and Tribulations, it, that wasn't like a true meshing of the two shows sure. because it was just archival footage with them interacting with it. So I feel like we really got the blend, you know, done right this time. And uh, I had another point about about how it all fit together, and I. I can't think of it right now because it's late. That's okay. But it's late. I, it was probably something to to Kyle's point. Just the the two different for me the two different tones. Um. Yeah, I lost it again. I, I thought they okay. they fit together well, and that we got a little bit of Strange New Worlds into my lower decks and my lower decks into my Strange New Worlds, and I really can't think of how you know they could have pulled it off any better than they did sure excellent cicero the final word on those old scientists uh they're old <laughs> um they're great uh it, yeah i i agree with javi it's at the top of the heap for me it is um to in, for for my money the, the best crossover um that star trek has ever produced uh, simply because, uh, as, as, you know, to kind of piggyback off of what Javi was saying was, was the intentionality be behind it all, right? Is, is the fact that this was for, you know, from the jump, this was a thing that they were going to do where they were going to mesh these two teams together and create some type of expendables super episode where, you know, where, where Arnold Actually, Schwarzenegger and, and, I was going to bring up yeah. the uh, the Prodigy episode with the uh, Kobayashi Maru episode. Anyway, 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What's that was, Prodigy? That was, that was a great. Oh, that's that's a that's a long conversation. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, it's not on Paramount Plus, uh, and that's where plus, all Star right. Trek so is. Must, I saw the trailer. That is where Star all Star Trek, Trek plus is. Plus so, hundred yeah, yeah, points, sir. It, it must it must have been a fever dream. You were drinking that uh, that uh, Orion uh, brandy, and uh, you know it, it screwed you up. So um, yeah, it, the level of intentionality here is is great. Like even to the point where we got an animated intro to Strange New Worlds in the style of of Lower Decks, including. With the, the the like the nacelle monster that the nacelle <laughs> nebula monster that's coming through yeah. there, but like all of that stuff, like where, where the Strange New Worlds characters, right? You know, Captain Pike is playing it. He's he's playing it straight, like he's like they're just running the same the same vo over this crazy animated, super stylized um, uh, version of the Strange New Worlds intro. Where I didn't realize this, but it's clearly true that the font is slightly different for Strange New Worlds or for Lower Decks than it is for these other things. Or maybe it's the the TNG, like the TNG era mm-hmm. font is mm-hmm. different from the from the you know the the TOS era font. Um, but yeah, it was like oh. They even use the strange. They even use the lower decks font for Strange New Worlds uh, while they were doing this, and that was really cool. So, like all of that stuff was was so great, and to see the Enterprise. I don't know if this is in pedantic continuity time or not, Chris, but to see the Enterprise animated for the very first time since TAS, right? Since the last episode, since TAS, uh, a short treks the. Tardigrade or oh, the yeah. short yes. Oh yes. Which incorrectly listed mm-hmm. that ship as the Enterprise A, even though it was supposed to be yeah. the original, yes. Mm-hmm. But right, I mean that's right. the second time since nineteen seventy four five. Yeah. Right. So um yeah, so I mean like that was that was really, really cool. I I, I super enjoyed it. The one thing that I would have loved to have seen at some point was just the Cerritos in like a CG Cerritos <laughs> where, and then we, you know, and then we go in and it's animated, but yeah, hey, you know, that's be careful that's what you much. wish for, man. Be careful. That is true. That is true. That is true. We got, we got two wishes now for a live action lower deck. So you uh, never know what's going to happen. And Kyle will have a party. I'm sure. So <laughs> yeah. Javi, you had some dad. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say as, as someone Huzzah. who's read in a lot of comics and seen a lot of comic book movies and TV shows, there's always that trope of like the heroes meet and they have to fight uh, until they realize, oh, we're here on the same side. And it was refreshing to get a crossover where they meet and get along. I mean, they do have some interpersonal tension and and little conflicts, but they're always on the same side there was no hostility between well who is this weird time traveler and we can't trust him like there was immediate you know acceptance of you know seeing him in a 
what appeared to be a futuristic uniform and they just ran with it. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is Federation tech and we know you're from the future. It's cool. And we're just going to work together and fix this problem, which was a very Star Trekian way of going about a crossover. I thought. Boimler get in the corner. Don't touch anything, <laughs> but you're fine. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, that's, uh, those are the words on those old scientists. So let's run through this one more time. It's pedantic continuity time. So from the fine editors over at Memory Alpha, the star date given by Boimler at the start of this episode would place this episode immediately after Lower Decks episode, Hear All, Trust Nothing, which was when the Cerritos visited Deep Space Nine. So you go from Quark to Pike and uh, in very rapid succession for Boimler and for Mariner. Uh, This is the second episode of Star Trek to feature both animation and live action together in the same episode following the post-credit scene in the short trek called The Trouble with Edward. A very memorable performance from one H. John Benjamin in that one. Uh, The opening credits for this episode use the same animation style as Lower Decks. As a further nod to that show, the larval space creature often seen attached to the port nacelle of the USS Cerritos in the show's opening credits is attached to the same nacelle on the Enterprise. An image of a koala also appears. Why is he smiling? What does he know? We don't know. Uh, Boimler mentions that the Enterprise is NCC-1701-nothing, the second time that the lack of a hyphenated letter in its registry number has been referred to as a mark of distinction and admiration, the other time being in Relics by none other than Montgomery Scott. This is another Star Trek production to feature a Starfleet Captain Pike celebrating a birthday at an age comparable to their deceased father's age. James T. Kirk also celebrated a similar birthday in Star Trek Beyond. When discussing the consequences of time travel, Mariner mentions the possibility of ending up in the middle of a riot in the 21st century, a reference to the events of Past Tense, the two-parter from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And finally, Commander Ransom refers to number one as the hottest first officer in Starfleet history, likely a reference to the fact that Jerry O'Connell, who voices Ransom, and Rebecca Romaine, who portrays number one, are married in real life. So, that's those old scientists. I need to sign off of this episode right now because these gentlemen have given me far too much of their time and I think we're all fading, but I really appreciate you guys sticking with me. Uh, be sure to be on the lookout for trexpertise.com, all of the wonderful reviews that Javi is contributing to Batman on film and other places. In addition to the flash up to speed with Wally West on YouTube. Uh, these guys are excellent creators in their own right and uh, our wonderful conversational partners that we are very privileged to have here on Discovery Debrief. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. And, of course, Cicero is a wonderful friend, and I couldn't do this without you, sir. So thank you for sticking with me. And, Rachel, I love you. Thank you for being on Discovery Debrief with me as well and for putting up with all of the crap that I put you through. But (laughs) all that being said, that's going to do it for – thank you. That's going to do it for episode number 102 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. If you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. Only takes a minute and let us know if you wrote one and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on whatever the hell Twitter or X is at DSC Debrief. 
feel free to send us questions through that platform or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise Paramount Plus maybe slow down a little bit. I'm not su- I'm surprised I'm saying that, but it would it would do me a personal favor. As always though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Yeah.